Jesus, when he looks at a body of believers, he's looking for people who are serious about their life in God. He's looking for lovers of God, true worshipers of God. He's looking for consecrated saints who have separated themselves from the spirit of this world. He's looking for people who know what it means to live sacrificially and care about the needs of other people. Those are the things that God considers successful. The vast majority of church leaders today would condemn pornography use as being wrong. But are they also warning their churches about entertainment? And a pastor would show great concern if a church member spent his time and money pursuing drugs and sex. But what if the man was just obsessed with being happy? In our 30 plus years of ministry, we've seen that the pursuit of pleasure, comfort, and happiness leads many men into sexual sin. In this episode, we look at the spiritual danger of spending your life pursuing pleasure. But there's an upside. When the lust for pleasure is overcome, sexual sin's hold will be broken. Thanks for joining us today on Purity for Life. Those whose lives are centered around pleasing themselves are buying into a very subtle, very seductive idea that a Christian can have his own life. Now, some may go even as far as to believe that God primarily exists to give them everything that they want. Jordan Yoshimine is a biblical counselor here, and he had this mindset for many years, and it led him to decades of unchecked sexual sin. Now, if you're listening and you truly want victory over sexual sin, please pay close attention because Jordan is going to break down the myth that we can have our own life and reveal just how spiritually damaging this idea is. Jordan, I know you're going to talk with us about another Christian myth today, but before we get to that myth, I wanted to start with a little observation I made before our interview. I was thinking about Christian books, and looking back, I found that it wasn't too long ago that titles that were being released for Christians to read were like The Fear of God, A Holy Life, The Attributes of God, My Utmost for His Highest. But then I did a quick Google search of some of our more modern Christian books, and I found really different phrases like The Power of Positive Thinking, your calling, your purpose, the life you want, making life better, what God has for you. Now, obviously, I'm not saying any book with a title like these is bad, but there's definitely a pattern here, and it seems like a real shift in recent years. So why don't you tell us now, what is this myth we're going to talk about today? Can you name it and then tell us what it exactly means? Well, I mean, the myth today that we're talking about is uh, I can have my own life in this world and be a Christian as well. Um, I really believe that that is a complete lie from the devil, Um, and it's dragging people uh, and good people, good professing Christians to hell um, because they don't know any better. 
Um, they're just going along with the flow of um, what's happening in the church today. They're going to church and and really experiencing God in a way that God did not intend them to worship God or come to him. And so, and it's against scripture. I mean, it just is not scriptural what's happening in the church today. So can you describe that a little more, what you see in our culture, in the church? You know, the church, as God intended, was supposed to influence and change the world. And what we're finding today is that the world is coming into the church and influencing the church. And uh, as I said before, that's just not scriptural. You know, the, the, in Scripture, it says, and I'll, and I'll quote Matthew ten thirty nine: whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And throughout Scripture, in Mark, and Luke, and John, all four Gospels use this passage as a, as a significant uh, words of Jesus himself saying, listen, you're going to have to lose your life in this world. In Luke 9.23, it says, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord. Um, but it says, die daily. We need that daily death to self. And what's happening in the Christian church today is, and being promoted, really, is that, hey, you can be a Christian, but have everything that you want in this life as well. It seems really strange to some people, the kind of warning that you're giving, but to me the irony is we don't have to go too far back in history, right, to see people, the majority of Christians really probably, believing this, and it's just been a shift somehow, right? Yeah, and— I mean, it's just the times we live in, for sure, and um, you can just see it in in laws that are being passed, in the cultural shift in sexuality. Um, it's all about self, and it is all about pleasing self. It is all about, hey, what's good for you may is all right as long as it doesn't Im- impact me. You can do what you want. Um, I I encourage that. Whatever you want to be, what, however you want to dress, whatever sexuality, sex that you want to be, hey, it's—and it permeates. What's unfortunate is it's permeating the church. So I think we've pretty well established the problem then and what's going on, but why would you really caution somebody, if it's a pastor or if it's just somebody within a church, why would you encourage them to take a hard look at that, to take it seriously— what can this lead to just within someone's own life if they don't really heed this warning for themselves? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, Matthew sixteen twenty six really um, kind of encapsulates a little bit, I think, of what we're talking about. And it says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in, its, in exchange for his soul? And, um, you know, I think a lot of times we think that verse applies to people who are not Christians. But I think really, you know, it's talking to believers. It's like, hey, what what is it going to profit you if you um, marry yourself to the world and you're going to lose your soul? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a good question because the consequences in a lot of cases are not easily seen. And that's what's so dangerous, I think. It's like people go to church, uh, they sit in a pew, 
they tithe. They're in a Bible study or a small group during the week. Um, and yet um, are married to the world in, in, in certain areas of their life. They've given themselves over to um, things that, uh, to, the, to anyone else or to a, a non-believer, unbeliever, would not look like sin. But they've just given themselves over to extravagant vacations or um, avid sports fans where their whole living room or dining room or or den or family room is completely committed to a college team or a professional team. Um, and it's really what's what happens is there's idolatry um, that pops up in their hearts. It's like they're professing to be Christians. They're, they're doing all the things that it takes to look like a Christian or to say that they're a Christian. Um, but then you look, take a hard look at their lives and you see the idolatry in their lives. Um, you know, I mean, it just says very clearly in Exodus 20, I think it's verse three, you know, that shall not have any gods before me. And really they've, um, before even God, they'll, they'll skip Sunday service to watch, uh, the world series or the Super Bowl or, golf or whatever it is, um, even idolizing their um, children and their events. Hey, I'm going to skip church because my son has a soccer game today. And placing higher importance on, um, hey, my kids have um, a game on Wednesday night, uh, so we're not going to go to church or we're not going to go to small group this week because my my son has a soccer game. So it's placing these um, things that look to anyone else like, nothing but it is idolatry and god specifically commands that we don't put anything before god and those things you know cumulatively over a lifetime man i you know i don't want to be standing in front of god on judgment day and you know it says uh, in matthew 7 21 through 23 24 um, you know, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things in your name? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not prophesy in your name? And God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And I think that's the danger in today is that consequence of allowing, you know, the world into the church and saying you can have both is that people are <laughs> stand in front of Jesus one day and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And, and people are going to be grieved because they... They weren't taught that. They weren't, you know, no one was saying that. No one was saying, hey, you, you know, you need to look at how you're living your life in this world, not just the big sins, quote unquote, but everything else in life. You know, we're talking about this myth, I can have my own life. And uh, here we both sit coming out of a life of sexual sin. Um, I know people listening may relate to that or know somebody who is is there right now. Um Right? Like, do you remember somehow being able to justify the life that you were pursuing while at the same time wanting to cling to some some form of saying, well, no, yeah, I can have this and my Christian life. How did that work out for you? <laughs> Not very well. Um, it didn't work out. Um, I couldn't justify both. Um, my sin and going to church at some point in the, you know, um, after being in my sin for about a decade, 
I just, and living the double life, you know, going to church, being a Sunday school teacher, being a youth director, leading church camps and stuff like that, and yet being fully engrossed in not just my sexual sin, but just myself, you know, just myself, life, drinking, partying, buying clothes, but whatever, you know, just spending money just irresponsibly, just doing what I wanted to do. It just came to the point where it was like, okay, either I can keep living this double life or just go headlong into my sin. And I just chose my sin. I just wanted my sin more than, more than I wanted God. And, um, and yet, you know, throughout the year, the next three decades, I mean, I would still profess to be a Christian and even in my sin to some of my drinking buddies, I would give, I would give them a Bible. What? <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know, I mean, what kind of testimony did I have? I had none. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, but when I came back to church in 2005 and then came on staff in 2007, um, and was on staff for three years before my sin got exposed again, um, yeah, I was able to cultivate a double life again, and um, I felt like if I just repented and kept repenting that God would would honor that, but yet I wasn't um, denying my flesh. Man, if I could, I know it's audio, but if I could somehow circle that and highlight it and underline it, I would, because I can relate. It was my life, too, where you get to a point, you're willing to say, okay, I need to go to church, I need to kind of get my act together, but it never goes beyond that, or you're in this cycle, like you said, well, I got to go back again and, and confess it, and it just, we never move beyond this gray area, it's like the twilight zone, into a real life with the Lord. And um, But I, I know you would encourage people who find themselves at that point that it's a dangerous place to stay there, especially if they have an addiction. Um, if someone is in sexual sin or just trying to get into the Christian life they know they should be living, what would you tell them about why they need to to take these steps and, and break out of where they're at, where they can't stay in this lie of, well, I can have my own life too? I mean, the answer is simple. I mean, it's it's a life life and death question, you know, life with Jesus or life without him. Um, you know, we'd... I don't like to be like the hell and brimstone type of guy, um, but uh, there's a reality to that. If you continue to, uh, God will not be mocked. You know, he says that in Galatians 6, um, he who sows to the uh, flesh will reap corruption of the flesh. So if we continue sowing to the, our flesh, then, you know, where are we going to stand on Judgment Day? You know, were we really ever Christians? Um, if we can continually do things that are so displeasing to the Lord or not glorifying him and actually pointing people away from the Lord. Well, we've talked a lot about the negative side, but I do want to end positively because this life is not a bland, flat, one-dimensional life. I mean, the devil paints it that way. We talk about all the things we got to give up, and our mind just immediately starts going, this is this is going to be hard. But talk to us, because you have the experience. I'm beginning myself to have some of the experience of what life can be like on the other side of this. Tell us about it. Man, it's so hard to um, t- 
talk about it in tan something that's tangible that people can really grasp onto. Um, Revelations 21, where it says, when we see him face to face, he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no pain, no sorrow, um, no more striving. Uh, man, what's something to look forward to? You know, if you come to Jesus, you know, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest for our souls. You know, his yoke is easy, his burden is life. If we will only submit ourselves and humble ourselves and allow him to guide us and direct us, that there is rest. And, you know, it says in John, you know, uh, the fullness of his joy, he wants to complete our joy. He wants to make it full. And I always thought joy was an emotion. Joy is not an emotion like happiness. Joy is something much deeper and much more profound than any emotion can ever describe. Joy in the Lord and making that joy complete is a knowledge and an assurance and a confidence in who the Lord is, what he's done for you, what the cross means, all of that. Um, And I have that joy now, whereas before I was tossed to and fro um, like a wave because I was uh, um, just guided by my emotions. And um, the Lord wants to give us life and life abundantly. You know, it's John 10.10. Thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and I came that they might have life and life abundantly. And it's it really is when you're talking about, okay, I can either choose Jesus or try this whole Jesus and the world too. Well, it's going to be life, life abundantly if you follow God. But if you choose to marry yourself to the world or try to have both, and Jesus says very clearly that you can have both, that you're going to allow Satan to kill, steal, and destroy and it really is, you know, um, that eternal weight of glory that we're going to receive uh, when we um, go to heaven and when we live with Jesus in eternity. And it seems so nebulous. I was thinking about this earlier. It does seem so, so nebulous. But when you come into his rest, when you finally surrender, when you um, finally admit your weakness and your your inability to do anything on your own. It is that 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. His grace is sufficient, you know. Um, his strength is perfected in our weakness. You know, I when I am weak, I am strong. It's like when we understand that we just cannot do it, that we do need to deny ourselves, that we do need to be as uh, Peter and James and Paul said, that we are bondservants that we are completely surrendered to the Lord, no dreams, ambitions, um, anything of our own, but completely allowing the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and guide and direct us. There's just so much that God wants to give us and give to his church. He is longing for his church to surrender and separate themselves from the world so he can give them the fullness of, of who he is and give them peace and rest and and joy and boldness and creativity and all of these things, all these different facets of Jesus and the Lord that he wants to give the church if only we will start denying ourselves, if we will say no longer um, I but Christ who lives within me. Even the man in sexual sin may see outward physical blessings in his life. This was the state of the church in Laodicea. But Jesus told them, 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is a stark warning to the church in America. Material prosperity is not an indicator of God's approval of our spiritual condition. In this interview, Pastor Steve Gallagher discusses the culture of the Church of Laodicea and how Jesus' words of warning and rebuke are a call to us today. Steve Gallagher has joined me in the studio. Steve is the founder and president of Pure Life Ministries. Steve, as always, it's good to see you again. Great to be here with you again, Mike. Steve, we want to talk today about the Church of Laodicea. And for those who may not be familiar about what that church is or about the biblical passages, why don't you just share with us, how do we even know about this church? The Church of Laodicea is brought up in the book of Revelation when Jesus addresses seven distinct churches of Asia Minor. And he had a word for each church, a specific word of either commendation or condemnation, I suppose. And the Church of Laodicea was the last of those seven churches he addressed. Steve, I think we can assume that John had visited each of these churches, and you yourself have traveled to the area of Asia Minor. What stood out to you about this area? Yeah, I did visit the ruins of the cities of those seven churches, and uh, Laodicea stood out as one of the prosperous cities, along with Ephesus. You know, it sits in a valley between the tiny little hamlet, which Colossae must have been, and the resort city of Hierapolis. Laodicea was, it was situated in a very prosperous, fertile valley, and you can see by the ruins of that city that they were obviously doing very well for themselves. You know, Steve, because John is talking about this church in Revelation, it apparently has some significance to us today. What is the spiritual significance? Yeah, any subject that's covered in the book of Revelation is pertinent to us today uh, because we believe we're living in the last days. But most especially, this message to the Laodicean church. Most scholars agree that these seven churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation 2 and 3 represent the history of the Christian church. And you can read books that kind of describe these different churches and how their characteristics seem to match what was going on in the church world in some particular period of time, you know. And so we come to the last church, the Laodicean church, and that seems to represent the church in the end times. And it certainly lines up with other statements in the Bible about the end times church. Well, as we look at the Laodicean church, what similarities do we see between it, just in a general sense, and the modern church today? Well, of course, for us, the modern church means America. Mm -hmm. And the comparisons are, obviously, the Laodicean church were wealthy, prosperous, and they didn't see their need spiritually. And Jesus said that they were lukewarm. And those terms very much describe the American church that we are a part of right now. And you mentioned that this city was a prosperous city. We look at the church today, it of course is flourishing. Huge buildings are going up, huge congregations are gathering around. Yeah, it's like the more that Christianity flourishes in America, the more superficial it becomes. It's like the two go hand in hand. You know, it's interesting the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia comparatively seem to be like just struggling little congregations, maybe even a house church or something along those lines. 
So outwardly, the Laodicean church looked like God was blessing, and outwardly it looked like the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia didn't have the blessings of the Lord. But we know by what Jesus said, Jesus had nothing positive, not one single thing did he say positive about the Laodicean church, whereas the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia, he had nothing but praise for them. And that should tell us something. Steve, you have compared the message of Jesus to the Laodicean church and how that ought to be applied to the church in America today. And one of the issues that you talk about is the way that a worldly church views success differently than Jesus views it. Yes, because a worldly church always views the outward trappings of success, large buildings, lucrative bank accounts, you know, and so on, popularity. So, you know, a worldly-minded, superficial church is going to be looking for outward demonstrations of success, whereas Jesus, when he looks at a body of believers, he's looking for people who are serious about their life in God. He's looking for lovers of God, true worshipers of God. He's looking for consecrated saints who have separated themselves from the spirit of this world. He's looking for people who know what it means to live sacrificially and care about the needs of other people. Those are the things that God considers successful in his kingdom. As the Church of Laodicea, as that city at the time, of course, America, despite our economic woes at the moment, is still a very prosperous nation, probably the most prosperous nation in all of human history. What impact does prosperity tend to have on people in a spiritual sense? Jesus once mentioned the deceitfulness of riches, and it's one of those things that, you know, prosperity tends to deceive us about spiritual matters. You can have all your doctrines lined up right, you can be thoroughly orthodox in your understanding of Christianity, and yet be blind to your own spiritual need because your prosperity takes away your desperation for God. It gives us a false sense of security, doesn't it? That's exactly what it does. The truth is that some people can handle prosperity without it totally corrupting their Christian life, but it's a battle. It does not come naturally. If you have prosperity, then there is that natural tendency to be corrupted by it to some degree. Hmm. I remember Jesus saying how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Yeah, and that's why is it we don't believe him? Mm -hmm. Why is it that when he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, heaven and do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why is it that no one pays attention to that? Why do we blow off the words of Jesus as if they're nothing? Well, perhaps, Steve, one of the reasons, and this really leads us to another point that you've made, is that in the American church that we've created a gospel for our own culture. Well, there's a national mindset, you know, in America, of course, like there is in any nation. And for the church, there is also a corporate mindset. And it has come about through all these maybe hundreds of thousands of people who have kind of gathered around certain teachers and so on. And we've created this gospel that fits our American lifestyle. You know, and the way we've done that is we've emphasized certain biblical teachings and, more importantly, neglected others and kind of fashioned the gospel, you know, just a slightly off version. It's not Mm. that it's unorthodox or false doctrine. 
It's just not the complete truth. So it's really, in a sense, it's a substitute for the real thing. It is. The real thing is in there. What we do is we tend to suppress the parts of the gospel that make us uncomfortable or confront us about our sin or our worldliness and so on. You know, we just kind of minimize those things, de-emphasize those things, and we focus on all the happy, positive things that tell us that God wants to bless us. You know, Steve, one of the things that stands out to me is that we really do have an enemy, and one of the tools that he uses is to get us satisfied in anything other than what is real and what God really wants to do. You're really describing idolatry, because idolatry is anything we substitute in the place of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. You know, anything we give our affections to instead of the Lord is an idol. And that's what we have in America. That's what our prosperity buys us, is any idol that our flesh could possibly want. Steve, as we wrap up today, we've looked at the church of Laodicea. We've looked at how much like that church the American church has become. Uh, What is the answer? Does Jesus give an answer to that church and to the church of America today? Well, the answer is sincere and deep repentance. You know, we have to get to the point where we acknowledge that we are grieving a holy God. There's a lot of people that think that they are on the narrow way headed towards heaven that I'm convinced are not, and they're in for a terrible, terrible shock when they stand before the Lord one day. And that's what this book is all about, Intoxicated with Babylon. We are trying desperately to get people's attention before it's too late. This world is passing away, and anything that's associated and connected to it is going with it. And one of the burdens that we have at Pure Life Ministries is to sound the alarm as best as we can with the little amount of influence that we have and warn people that it is not always going to be the way it is right now, and time is running out, and it's absolutely urgent that we turn things around in our lives and get serious about the things of God. Amen. Well, Steve, we appreciate your heart and your word. Steve's book, Intoxicated with Babylon, is, of course, available on our website at purelifeministries.org. Just click on the online bookstore. Steve Gallagher, thanks so much. Great to be with you again, Mike. Sometimes when a person pursues pleasure, it leads to blatant, out-of-control, addictive behaviors that clearly demand repentance and life change. But many times, the self-indulgent path doesn't seem to negatively impact us, and we can be easily deceived, not realizing that what God is looking for is a heart that has been severed from covetousness and is set on pleasing Him. Pure Life's founder and president, Steve Gallagher, has a strong burden to see the church in America return to a life characterized by self-denial for the sake of the cross. In this short message, he describes the far-reaching spiritual consequences that come from giving yourself everything you desire. The enemy is being allowed a greater measure of power on this earth. It's all part of what the Lord is allowing. So the enemy is going to be going after Christians like never before. If we're going to stand against the enticements that the enemy is going to lay in our path, then we must learn how to deny ourselves. We've got to figure this out.
But the basic attitude of most American Christians is to go after and get every kind of pleasure they can possibly get their hands on short of obvious sin. And to enjoy every form of entertainment they can possibly enjoy short of obvious sin. To indulge every desire of the flesh they can possibly indulge short of obvious sin to pursue every personal idol that they have built up in their heart, as long as it's short of obvious sin. The bottom line is we have had prosperity in this nation for 50 years, and now we are living with the fruit of it. You see the condition of the church after 50 years of enjoying prosperity. Some people think it's God's blessing, I don't know. But whatever it is, now you see the fruit of it. Sexual sin, out of control. Promiscuity, out of control. Divorce, out of control. Drug use, out of control. And all the other sins that go along with all of that stuff and all the heart issues and stuff. People just living for self, out of control. That's the fruit of 50 years of a church that has enjoyed prosperity. Basically, the only time people say no to themselves is when they can't afford something. If they have the means to get it and they want it, they get it. Look what Jesus said, verse 34, watch out. Maybe your translation says beware. Does that word mean anything to you? When Jesus, if he stood in front of you and said beware, is there anything in you that can be reached? Is there something in you? that hasn't become so jaded that Jesus' words can actually affect you and scare you, trouble you, disturb you. They should. And he gives a warning here. Don't let your hearts be dulled. Let me read it in the Living Bible. Watch out. Don't let my sudden coming catch you unawares. Don't let me find you living in careless ease carousing and drinking and occupied with the problems of this life like all the rest of the world. Another translation says that one part, but take care that your hearts are not loaded down with self-indulgence. This word carousing, it really just means the after effects of overindulgence. It's how you felt Thanksgiving evening. It's how you feel when you give over to spending money. It's how you feel when you've just thrown yourself into the world, sat in front of some carnal movie. That's what it's referring to. The word is dissipation. It's just an over excessive indulgence in something. And Jesus is warning us, end time believers, don't do this. You know, one of the problems with indulgence is it will turn you into a moral coward to where you can't take a stand for anything. Everything's got to revolve around your feelings, around your desires and your flesh and your pride and so on. That's why the emperors were always so soft and effeminate because they had given themselves every pleasure that they could possibly become involved in. That's where it takes you. If your lifestyle is a lifestyle of constantly saying yes, yes, yes to your desires, you're in trouble. You are not prepared for what's coming upon this earth. You know something? We all 
desperately need to learn how to say no to ourselves. We have got to learn how to control ourselves. In the midst of a culture that is out of control, we have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to go to the Lord, not to just jump on opportunities, not to just go and do the thing that you have the power to make happen. We've got to learn how to take something to the Lord and say, Lord, with a sincere heart, do you want me to do this thing? You've got to learn how to do this if you're going to be led by the Spirit. The sons of God are known by the fact that they are led by the Spirit, Paul says. Do you know what it means to be led by the Spirit? You have to come into that. And to be able to be led by the Spirit, you've got to be willing to say no to yourself. When you want something really bad, you should force yourself to go in the other direction, at least until you can get clear-headed about it. That's how you prepare yourself to withstand all the things that the enemy is going to lay in your path in the days ahead to bring you into his mindset that all revolves around pleasing the flesh. Pastor Steve said, we have got to learn to say no to ourselves. We have to learn to control ourselves. If you're bound up in addiction, learning to control yourself might seem impossible, but it isn't. What is impossible with man is possible with God. For over 30 years, we have been witnessing the power of God change people from the inside out. If you've been convicted by this episode, please get alone with God. Acknowledge your sins. Cry out to Him for mercy and refuse to stop seeking Him no matter how long it might take until you are changed from a lover of pleasure into a lover of God. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.